Hello and a warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth. It's great to have your company. Thanks for joining us. Today we've um, talked number four in this series of lessons from the Bible letter of James. Our Bible teacher Brian is taking a fairly close look at the practical issues that James raises in this letter with the aim that we find practical help in our lives as disciples of Jesus. We're in James chapter 3 this week, so have your Bible ready because Brian will be reading all the verses from this chapter throughout his talk. That's if you want to, of course, but first let's hear from Brian. Okay, John, you know, last week we were thinking about idle faith, and now James, whose letter we're studying, turns to discuss idle speech. So far, in reading James, we've been learning that to gain spiritual maturity, a believer must be what God wants him to be, and so do what God wants him to do. James has been outlining for us what it means to be mature as a Christian. He began by describing how maturity is gained by navigating through the trials of life by God's help. He then went on to explain how mature faith doesn't lapse into favouritism, nor does it fail to extend itself into faith-based actions. But in his third chapter, using dramatic language and very graphic illustrations, James examines our speech as yet another area where either our maturity or, sadly, our immaturity will soon show itself. James now devotes an entire chapter to the problem of a careless and corrupt tongue. A man working in the produce department was asked by a lady if she could buy half a head of lettuce. He replied, half a head? Are you serious? God grows these in whole heads and that's how we sell them. You mean, she persisted, that after all the years I've shopped here, you won't sell me half a head of lettuce? Luke, he said, if you like, I'll ask the manager. She indicated that would be appreciated. So the young man marched to the front of the store to where his manager was located. You won't believe this, he said, but there's a lame-brained idiot of a lady back there who wants to know if she can buy half a head of lettuce. He noticed the manager gesturing and turned around to see the lady standing right behind him, obviously having followed him to the front of the store. And this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half, he concluded. Later in the day, the manager cornered the young man and said, That was the finest example of thinking on your feet I've ever seen. Where did you learn that? I grew up in Grand Rapids, he said, and if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know that it's known for its great hockey teams and its ugly women. The manager's face flushed, and he interrupted, My wife is from Grand Rapids. And which hockey team did she play for, was the young man's reply, and his second piece of quick thinking that day. Usually, we're not that smart. But there's something better than being smart. James tells us that it's known as learning to control our tongue in the first place. Some never learn that skill until it's too late. On a windswept hill in an English country churchyard stands a drab, grey slate tombstone. The quaint stone bears an epitaph, not easily seen unless you bend over and look closely. The faint etchings read, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. Perhaps it's challenging to ask, how carefully do you monitor what goes into your mouth compared to how you monitor what comes out of it? For example, do you follow a low-fat diet? Do you watch the number of calories you consume? Now, compared to the care you take in controlling what goes into your mouth, how careful are you to control what comes out of your mouth? Do you apply as much energy and planning and self-discipline to controlling your speech as you apply to controlling your calories or your fat grams? Jesus once said that what comes out of your mouth can defile you, 
And with that, of course, James is in full agreement and begins to introduce this by saying in chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Again, addressing himself to my brothers, a feature of this letter which we've noted before, and a sign that a new topic is being considered, James now suggests restraint in the multiplication of teachers. Possibly, too many of the new Jewish Christians aspired to teach. In Jewish families of that time, a a typical aspiration among parents was for their sons to obtain the status of a rabbi or a teacher. True, teaching has to be done, but those who teach must understand their responsibility. For those who teach will be judged more strictly. A teacher's condemnation is greater because, having professed to have a clear knowledge of duty, he's all the more bound to obey it himself. James, of course, with his gentle style, did not point a finger at the offenders without including himself. We all stumble in many ways, he said. Notice the we. I recall an aunt of mine who had a pet dog, which she spoilt with too many sweet things to eat. As a result, all its teeth rotted away and fell out or had to be extracted. And as a result, it always amused us to see this dog, for the poor thing had no longer any means of keeping its tongue in its mouth. Whenever its jaws opened slightly, out fell its tongue. I'm thinking of this now, as I read what James has to say. If I can paraphrase, he's telling us that nothing seems to trip up a believer more than a dangling tongue. If a believer is really at fault in what he says, he or she is a mature person. Spiritual maturity requires a tamed tongue. James continues, Now if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their whole body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue may be small, but it sure is influential. Three illustrations make this point clear. The bit and the horse, the rudder and the ship, and the spark and the forest. The argument is clear. Just as little bits turn around grown horses, small rudders guide large ships, and a small spark consumes an entire forest, so the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts and can easily ruin an entire life. And the tongue is a fire, James continues, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. The tongue is not only powerful, but it's also perverse and poisonous and polluting. It's small and influential, but worse by far, its repertoire can be hellish in origin. At any time from birth to death, it can give vent to the fallen system which is present throughout all our body members. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come forth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. 
Having very clearly illustrated the inconsistent and wrong use of the tongue, James now contrasts two types of wisdom. He asks, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behaviour his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. In the same way as the quality of faith is reflected in works, so the quality of wisdom is reflected in lifestyle. And the main ingredient of a lifestyle displaying heavenly wisdom is gentleness or meekness. So it was with Christ, the greatest ever teacher. And yes, it's possible James has come back full circle, back to the theme at the top of the chapter about teachers. They are to be mature and wise. Their maturity is to be seen in a controlled tongue and their wisdom displayed in a non-assertive lifestyle. Finally here, James says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, peace is the seed sown that yields a harvest of righteousness. To achieve spiritual maturity, which is James' goal, as we thought, we need to learn to speak with care. And that's been today's main point. And overall, in our study of James, this is where we've got to. If in his first chapter, James tells us that a believer should stand confidently, We can think of his second chapter as encouraging us to serve compassionately and today's chapter, his third, is urging us to speak carefully.
Did you note the words of the hymn that may we learn from this uh, all the arts of friendliness, truthful speech and honest action, courage, patience, steadfastness, how to master self and temper, how to make our conduct fair, when to speak and when be silent, when to do and when forbear. So the self-control includes the tongue. Now you might find it helpful to have the booklet which is a transcript of this whole series of Brian's talks and it's available free of charge. You can have more than one copy if you're going to use them for group study or to pass on to friends, but just make sure to let us have your postal address. That's because if you don't, you won't get the books. We don't share your details with anyone else, so you needn't worry. It's just to let us know where to send them. And be sure to ask, of course, for the title uh, Lessons from James. There are also back issues of other titles, and I'll be telling you how to get those in a moment. But first, our postal and email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. Now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. You can also download MP3 versions, audio versions of some past programmes on your computer, as I said. Uh, but you'll need to go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. This is also our church website and you can pick up some uh, helpful additional material. More past titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. And in the search box, just type Search for Truth series and you'll find a growing list of booklets uh, available there. So it's been great to have your company today. Thanks for being with us. I hope you found today's talk an encouragement and next week, God willing, Brian brings us another study from chapter four this time of the letter of James. So be sure not to miss it. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, from David, from our singers and me, John. Goodbye and as always, may God richly bless you. Yeah.